Good morning, Edge Church. Good morning, family. Hey. <laughs> um, my name is Ben Brooks. I'm one of the elders of the Edge Church, and we're in a season right now where we're walking through this series called Reset. And Neil spoke last week on loving one another. And if you had had a chance to listen to it, I would strongly encourage you to do so. I was so encouraged by it. And just the impact of God, God's love through us and realizing who we are and us able to love other people. So I would like to welcome Brandy out, who's going to speak on encouraging one another in the local church. And I just, I just want to pray for you real quick. God, just thank you so much for this church family. We just bless them to have uh, open hearts and continue just to walk in the fullness of everything that you have. God, thank you for Brandy, and thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Good morning. How is everybody today? Good? We're, we're the company of the committed this morning, aren't we? Oh, my gosh. This weather, doesn't it just, like, make you, like, don't go out into the big bad world. Just stay here and let the rain lull you back to sleep. Anybody? That, this today was a hard one. It was. Um, and so, kids, I'm sorry that your field day got canceled, but hopefully you will learn something today, and I trust that you will. Um, as Ben said, we are talking about relationships because this whole year has been about resetting and getting back to the basics. And relationships, whether we like it or not, they are pretty central to our lives, aren't they? We can't, we can't live life much without relationships. And I don't need to tell you that relationships are a big deal, do I? Because we've all probably experienced a time when maybe everything else in life was going fine. Maybe health, job, all those kinds of things are going fine. But when relationships are broken, how does life feel? Not great, does it? You know, relationships are something that um, we did not come up with. This is something that God came up with. In fact, I think it's fascinating that in the very beginning of Scripture, way back in Genesis, in early Genesis, the very first thing that God said was not good was man being alone. I think it's interesting that before sin even sets on the scene, he called something not good. He did not want man to be alone. And so it's also interesting to realize that then he made Eve and he said, I will make Adam a suitable helper. Okay, so right there we see that relationships are God's idea. Trying to go at this thing called life alone is what God calls not good. And we also see that the very essence of relationship is actually helping helping each other. And so it's probably not going to be a surprise to you that today as we talk about what um, our relationships in the church should look like, our primary goal with one another is to help each other, quite frankly. I mean, yes, we have a goal as a church out into the lost and broken world, but within the church, what is the essence of our relationship? Well, it's to help each other, to help and to encourage each other. And so I think it's interesting because um, in the local church, which is what the edge is, it's just a local body of the church, there are going to be people in this room that you know really, really well, but not everybody's your bestie, right? 
I mean, it's, it's too big and too broad, and you probably know each other with varying degrees. In fact, if I asked you to scan the room kind of right now with like your peripheral, you know, I bet you could quickly find somebody that you don't even really know. Yeah? Can you all identify right now someone in the room that you don't really know? Or maybe you just know kind of casually. You say hi-bye at the coffee station. But I also bet, for most of you, at least if you've been trucking around here for a while, I bet if I asked you to identify someone you know really well, you probably could, if you've been here for a while. But what's interesting is, whether it's the person three rows back that you don't even know and you've never had a real conversation with, or whether it's your best friend, your obligation and responsibility to these people is pretty much the same. We actually have a responsibility and an obligation to the people that go here that we don't even know that well. Isn't that interesting? And we're going to get into that today. Uh, I don't know um, who was here. Show of hands if you were here whenever Ken Taylor preached those couple of weeks on mental health. Okay, uh, I don't know if this part of his sermon stood out to you or not. But one thing that really stood out to me was when he put that Romans passage up there where it was talking about the church, uh, the local church, being like a body with all these different parts. And it's that passage of Scripture that talks about how uh, one part of the body can't say that it's more important than another and all this stuff. And what Ken did was he asked us to read that Scripture for ourselves. He let us sit and soak in that Scripture and he challenged us to identify how we felt when we read literally each word of that scripture. And was there anything that made you a little uncomfortable? And could you identify those feelings? And so I did what he said. I was reading it. And, I, and there was one phrase that kind of just kept sticking out to me. And I knew it made me feel something, but I wasn't sure what it made me feel. It was that part that said that we all belong to each other that each part of the body belongs to the body. And I was thinking about that, and I was thinking, so what does it mean for me to belong to you people? What does it mean that you belong to me? And we're going to kind of dive into that today. But one thing we need to get set straight is what church really is. A lot of times in our culture, we, we refer to church as like a time and a place and a building. Okay, but the actual uh, Greek word for church is, uh, I don't know if we have it up here, ekklesia, ekklesia. And actually that word means assembly, or it could mean those who are called out. So the root word of ekklesia doesn't even mean a location or a building or a denomination. It simply means a group of people who are called out and come together. So there are um, a couple of different ways that we can view church when we look at Scripture. But one thing we need to know is that God says in Psalm 133.1 how good and pleasant it is when we come together or we dwell together in harmony. So before we go anywhere else, we need to understand that this thing that we do together on Sundays, it happens to be Sundays and it happens to be in this building, but when I say this thing, I'm talking about um, God's people who are called by his name. Come together and assemble and dwell together. That can also mean live together. So that suggests much more than a one hour on a Sunday, doesn't it? 
But when God's people come together and dwell together in harmony, meaning united in love, he calls that good. Now, what's the first thing he said wasn't good? Alone. Now, what's something he says is good? His people coming together. So first and foremost, God is very happy that you are a part of a church. He's happy about this. And if it was hard for you to come today, maybe just because the weather wasn't really suited, maybe because your kids weren't agreeable, maybe because you're a single parent and you're trying to get it all together and get out the door, maybe you don't feel well, maybe you've got some mental and emotional issues that make it very difficult to come into places like this, I just want you to know that God is very, very proud of you because this is his idea and he calls it good. And the fact that you would choose to align yourself with this idea, even in the hard times, he's proud of you and he's gonna make good on it. That's good news, right? We're already getting off to a good start, aren't we? I love that he says when we dwell together in harmony because I'm a music lover and so I love any kind of like music, uh, you know, symbolism and stuff like this. And I remember, I always loved to sing, but my mom and dad were very musical. They played instruments and they sang and everything and they were always so good at harmony and I used to get jealous and I used to try it and it was basically I was just singing in wild octaves and it was crazy sounding. Um, But I remember when I finally started like getting it about high school age, and I started learning harmony, and I was like obsessed with it. And so anytime anyone would sing, I would try to jump in on the harmony because I was obsessed with the way that it sounded. It just adds this dimension and this layer to the melody that is just like, oh, it's palpable. It just adds this like 3D kind of dimension to singing. But you know what? I would try to practice harmony by myself. Have you ever tried to sing harmony all by yourself? It like, whoa, does not sound right, (laughs) you know? Sometimes I'll have my earbuds in and I'll be practicing and I know it sounds to the other people in the room really off. Harmony only works with others, doesn't it? So there's a withness, there's an assembly, there's a togetherness and a unitedness that God craves. It's his idea, not ours. It's a good one. And if we trust that his ideas for our life are good and right and will flourish in that way, planted in the house of the Lord, God says we will flourish. That means in the good times. That means in the bad times. And, you know, right now in the summer, I've been doing a lot of, like, planting, and I'm not great at it, but I enjoy it. And I tell you what, there are seasons after you've planted where it doesn't seem like a whole lot's going on, right? In fact, there's a whole season where you're just under the dirt and you don't really get to see anything. And then sometimes there's this great season of flourishing. But there are seasons, and God says, regardless of seasons, planted in the house of the Lord, we will flourish. We don't always get to decide what that flourishing looks like or the timing. But we get to decide if we're going to do his will and remain planted. And then he will do the flourishing. And so when we see this word ecclesia, the word church in the Bible, it could mean, when you come across the word church in the Bible, it could mean universal church or the local church. So of course the universal church is literally anyone and everyone who has accepted Jesus Christ as their savior for the forgiveness of their sins and received his free gift of salvation. Anyone who has been called by him and stands in his name, that is the universal church. But there's also the local church. And so of those people, and it's usually a proximity issue, 
All right, there's other reasons you might choose a church uh, doctrinally and maybe if you have some other things in common, but, but at that local church, you can almost think of it like your immediate family. And so one day we know, you know, this, this earth is going to pass by. It will be no more. And then we will be living with God in perfect unity with our universal church as it will be revealed by God. One day, people that we don't even know on the other side of the world will be my brother and sister. They already are. I just don't know them yet. But we're going to get to know them. But until then, he says, this is how you're going to flourish. Be planted in this house, in a local church body. And so we align ourselves uh, with the authority of Scripture. And we allow that to be the voice that directs us. And we come together and we serve each other and we encourage each other and we help each other in this faith. And this is his idea of how we will flourish beyond that initial salvation. Okay? Some of the things that God, um, some of the word pictures that he uses to describe the local church. When you see these kinds of analogies, he's referring mainly to local church. Okay? He calls us family, brothers and sisters. Okay, do you just love every single member of your family like, you know, the like love? But are you devoted to them? Yeah. Right? Nobody picks on my brother even if I do. <laughs> Whatever. So you get the idea. It's like a devoted to, right? And then he also describes us as co-laborers. Co-laborers. So that indicates we should be working together on some common mission, Right? He also describes us as co-heirs. That means we're kind of like, we're going to the same destination. I don't know if you've ever had the privilege of going like to, uh, to a resort, maybe to Mexico or something like that. We, we got to do that one time, and it was so fun. And for some reason, it really sticks out to me that we got on this little bus once we got into Mexico. I'd never been to another country or to a resort, so it was all new to me. But I remember when we got on this bus, there were all kinds of people that uh, were not at all like us, and we were all from way different places, different accents, but we're all on this bus, and we're all very excited about where we're going. Uh, some people were like veterans, and they were like trying to tell us the ropes about where we were going. Other people were like me, kind of scared, kind of excited, but we all had this one thing in common. We knew where we were going. We were excited to get there, and that's really all it took for us to kind of want to be on this bus together. It was where we were going. And in a sense, co-heirs, we should have this common like excitement that we're not only working on a mission, but we're working towards something that has a great inheritance. We're all going there, right? So that's exciting. He also describes us as a building, okay? He calls us a, a sacred building, a holy temple. And one piece by one piece, he builds this temple together. And then, of course, as I referred to earlier, he calls us a body, where we are all different parts of the body. And though some may seem weak, we realize we need all of them, don't we? Some of you may have seen back in um, December, I think it was, I had hurt my knee and I was like rocking around on crutches. And I'm telling you, everything was hard. Everything. I couldn't do anything. Literally everything was hard. Suddenly the stairs in my house seemed like a mountain I had to climb. Do you know how big the piece in my knee was that was actually hurt? It was like a little piece of cartilage that was literally like this big. 
And because I couldn't walk quite right, then I'm like kind of overcompensating on the other side. So then all of a sudden I have hip problems on this side and my shoulders are hurting because I'm tense because it hurts. I'm kind of like, do you see it? This big. We need each other or we don't function properly. This is another motivator, a key motivator for why we should be encouraging one another because how you flourish affects how I flourish, affects how we, us, how we flourish. I want to look at Colossians 1.28, and I want to kind of consider it. If you have notes, you can write Colossians 1.28 down, and we can kind of look at this today as almost like our mission statement toward each other. Uh, I chose just this one verse, but I actually read uh, pretty much most of the letters that Paul wrote to various churches, okay? So the epistles and Corinth, and what I found is this uh, verse kind of takes what he says sprinkled throughout all of the letters to all of his many various churches. And this one kind of takes it and sums up what I found to be his most frequently stated commands and directives to the local church. So he, he planted and started all these churches, different cultures, different people, different issues, and yet there are certain things that's very repetitive to every single church. And so I just kind of took this verse, but it very much reflects what he wrote to all of his churches, okay? It says, He is the one we proclaim, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone fully mature in Christ. To this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy Christ so powerfully works in me. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Now, I'm going to read that again, and I'm going to pause and kind of break it up and so that we can look at this passage just a slight bit deeper, okay? Because as you guys know, there's kind of that surface meaning, and then you can take Scripture and you can just keep going a little further. And so we're going to peel back a little layer on this, all right, from Colossians 1.28. Again, we're going to consider this kind of our mission statement toward one another. What is my responsibility to the person over here and the person back there and the person at Quest and the itty-bitties and the oldest person in the church? What's my responsibility to them? Okay, it's the same as Paul said his was. He, meaning who? Jesus. Jesus is the one we proclaim. That word proclaim, it's present participle active. It's active, okay? It's a recurring. Every time we get together, you know why we start with songs? Every time we get together, we are re-proclaiming. I don't know if that's a word, but it is right now. <laughs> we are re-proclaiming who we belong to. He, Jesus, is the one we regularly proclaim, admonishing or encouraging, and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Why? So that we may present. And I love this because the word present uh, can mean like assist or abide. That's a with. You have to assist someone, right? So that we may present or assist or stand with everyone. My small group members, my best friend, the person I really like, everyone. So that we may present, assist, or stand by everyone 
till they are fully mature in Christ. And then he says, my goal, my goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Who is love? God is love. We are united in the family of God. I think it's so interesting because when he says, to this end, I strenuously contend with all the energy that Christ so powerfully works in me. That word powerfully is more accurately said miraculously. I can't do anything in your spirit apart from Christ. It is a miracle. It is spiritual. And I can't do it apart from Christ. Uh, A couple of months ago, I don't know if you were here or not, I got to preach on loving God with all our strength through works. And I talked about this word iskus. It means strength, loving God with all your strength. And iskus, it, it means what you have. What are your resources? What do you have? What are you capable of? What are you good at? What do you have going for you? That's iskus. And it says we're supposed to love God with all of that. All of that. And that's what Paul is talking about when he says, I strenuously contend with all the energy or the iskus. I strenuously contend with all the things that I'm capable of through Christ who so miraculously works in me. There are things that God has given you. Some of it is capabilities. Some of it is just your personality. Do you know just your personality alone is going to lend itself favorably to some people (laughs) and unfavorably to some, okay? You're not everyone's cup of tea, and neither am I. And I know that, and that's okay. No one is everyone's cup of tea. I don't even like tea, okay? (laughs) I like coffee, so there. But, But really, the only person that's supposed to fulfill everyone's need is Jesus Christ alone. But here's the deal. When we work with the gifts that he's given us, the iskus, the strength that he's given us, to his glory and in his name, guess what happens? We exude his essence or his glory. That's why it says Christ in us is the hope of glory. Glory is just God's nature. And so when we have Christ in us and we use these strengths that we have, our personality, our resources, our capabilities, those things that come easy to us, when we use those things in God's name and to his glory, there are aspects of God's nature that are oozing out of us. And so if every single one of us would be encouraged I put that in quotes because I think it's kind of an interesting play on words. In courage. In courage. Because as I talked about that day, what good is strength if you don't have courage? You might have the, the, the strongest football player on your team, but if he's too scared to go out there and rough it up a little bit, what good is he? Strongest uh, warrior on the uh, battlefield, but if he's too scared to fight, then what good is that? It's almost sad, right? Some of you have a lot of strengths. You have a lot to offer to this body that could encourage someone. And, and, and you're too insecure. You're too fearful to let that thing out. And I get it. But you're not doing yourself or anyone else here any favors. Because when we love God with all our iskus, that's when the glory oozes out of us. And that's when we all get to benefit from God's nature leaking out. If every single one of us did that, we would more fully experience what God fully is in his glory. Is that a pretty cool idea? 
And this is why it's so very important that we don't get caught up wishing we had somebody else's gifts, someone else's personality. If everyone had the same gift, this would be a pretty lame expression of who God is because God is extremely diverse. And the more diverse we can be, the more accurately we will represent him. So don't waste time wishing that your gift was something else. You know, one of the things we do around the edge that is my, one of my personal favorite things that we do is after someone has gone through some membership classes and thinking about becoming a member here, they can place their membership here in this church just saying, hey, I've decided to become planted in this house. And after they do that, um, we have what's called like a membership confirmation. And just last Sunday, we did this. So people who are new members get to meet with like um, Pastor Steve and Neil and maybe a couple elders. And last week, I just happened to get to be a part of it because it was at our house. And my favorite part about it is we start asking these new members, you know, what do you, what do you enjoy? What are, what are you good at? What are you passionate about? What do you like? What are your strengths? And I'm telling you, it is so neat to hear from a handful of different people, and it's all extremely different. One person, and it just really, really stuck out to me, because one person, he said, I don't really know what I'm gifted to do. <laughs> this just blew me away. He goes, I do know, though, that um, people always tell me I'm a really good listener. I was just like, <gasps> You are? Do you know how hard I try to work to be a really good listener? I'm serious. I'm one of those, let's walk and talk. Let's walk and talk. Tell me, I'm listening. I'm listening while I'm doing this. It's hard for me. That doesn't come naturally to just everybody. He says he's a good listener. How hard do you think it is to come by good listeners today? How many less lonely people do you think there'd be if we had a few people willing to actually listen with patience and care and concern? I'd say that's a pretty mighty gift in the house of the Lord. And it's one that we should all aspire. Don't forget, we're not limited to certain gifts. There's just some that just come real easy. Because God promises to take us, when we live a life submitted to him, he promises to take us from glory to glory. And so what that really means is if I've been walking with the Lord as long as technically I think I have, I should actually ooze a lot more of his characteristics now than I did in my early 20s. Technically speaking, from glory to glory. It should be unfolding. And so we all need to work to be better listeners. Don't get me wrong. We can't just be like, oh, that's not my job. You know? Ah, so I think it's so interesting. Listen, he says he does this. He works with his ichthus that Christ gives him. And his goal is to encourage each other, to be encouraged in heart and united in love. And he says that, that he does this so that we will become fully mature in Christ. Listen, if there is nothing else that you write down or lock into your brain, this is the thing I felt like God, like I've highlighted it to the point that my papers run thin. Your maturity in Christ is supposed to matter to me. My maturity in the faith is supposed to matter to you. This is not just about being kind to each other, being loving, showing up. Those are important things, and it's a great place to start. Because I tell you what, I'm still very human, and I don't often accept criticism from someone that has really never shown me care or concern. Yeah? 
So we have to start with that, relationship and love. But I got to say, your maturity in Christ is supposed to matter to each other. And there's a lot of reasons why it matters to God. And there's a lot of reasons why it should matter to us. Maturity in Christ matters. And there are some hallmarks of maturity that we all know First of all, when we're, when we're little and we're growing up, we're, we're pretty much innately um, selfish. As kids get older, if we're doing a decent job of parenting, we're trying to teach them that other kids can play with your toys. Yes, you can share. You know, you're trying to teach them that they're not the only one in the world. You're trying to teach them as a mark of maturity to be more of an others-focused person. Guess what? When we have a church that we're trying to like love people and we give them the gospel, but we don't care about their maturity, we are going to have a very selfish, self-centered church. And I don't know about you, but I don't really want to be committed to a bunch of selfish people, do you? We're supposed to care about maturity in Christ, and it's because it's good for us. It is good for us. You know, uh, God says where two or more are gathered, there I am with them. Just where two or more are gathered. So think about how many more we have than two. We have quite a bit more than two, don't we? You know, I don't know um, if anybody, I, I feel like we should just divide the room up between those who, when you cut an onion, your eyes tear up, and those who do not. So raise your hand if, you're, if I cut this open right in front of your face, are you going to start crying like a baby? Anyone? Oh, lots of people. Okay, anybody that this doesn't affect? Or are you the ones that don't cut onions in your house? Mmm, busted. I don't know what happened to me, but something happened in my 30s all of a sudden. I used to think people were lying, and then it's like, bah! I can't cut onions anymore. I cut them all up at once now, just have a big cry fest, and then freeze them. That's how I do it. There's my little practical tip for you. Always practical. Here's the thing. What is inside of this onion? There's something, uh, probably you science people know what it is. I don't know what it is. But when you open this onion, something releases into the air. Someone wants to tell me. No? Okay. Something releases in this air. And it, and it permeates and it's potent and it affects me. It causes a response, an involuntary response, doesn't it? Now, if I were to cut this onion right now, are you going to start crying? even those of you that raised your hands. Probably the only person that's going to start crying when I release what's on the inside of this onion is who? Probably just me. I'm probably the only one that's going to be affected. Now, if I cut the onion and I start hanging out one-on-one -on -one with Jasmine, who's probably going to be crying now? Let's say I have 100 onions and I cut them open and I just throw them out to everybody. We have 100 cut open onions in this room. Who's crying now? Where two or more are gathered, I am there with them. What we have on the inside of us is God's spirit. We are a sacred temple and his spirit has chosen to reside in us the minute we say yes to Jesus Christ and when we glorify him and we come together and we proclaim his name and his word is going out and we're receiving it his spirit is among us tenfold and that's why it is so very important in our day and age this is for our generation I'm positive that's why it is so important that we do not give up 
meeting together because it's easy to do. I've convinced my own self of this before. I look back now, it's because I was hurt and I was burned out. It was really difficult for me to come to church for a good stretch of time. And I had every reason in the book why I could still be okay spiritually. Because you know what? I actually listen to sermons and podcasts during the week. I also do daily devotionals. Check. And I listen to worship music when I wash dishes. I even occasionally serve my kids' school, my community. And in, in my book, that's God's work in the world. So, oh, and occasionally we actually give money to other causes that I think God would be proud of. So why do I need church? I can listen to sermons with the A-plus speakers in our country. I can listen to the best worship music with a click of a button. I can give money to tons of causes. We can all find them. I can even serve and do lots of great things in God's name. So why does he still want me to be connected to you people? Why do I need it? This is big. Because it's not about you. Because it's not about you. He doesn't want you to have all these things so you can just stuff yourself. He wants us to have church so we can encourage each other. Great, if I listen to a lot of sermons and I worship, I should have something really great to offer you. It's not so that I can be so swell. I haven't used that word in a very long time or maybe ever. <laughs> weird things happen to me and I'm embarrassed, but whatever. Uh, okay. Moving on. You guys, this is a real game changer. 1 Peter 4.10. It says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received. Keyword, received. Who gave it to you? If you received it, who gave it to you? God. You didn't do anything to earn that gift. It's just naturally in you. God gave that to you. So who does it belong to? Him. And he says, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve some versions say encourage each other. This is so, so, so important that we get this. And the burden on my heart for you is that we really, really get this because there is a fundamental shift that needs to take place in the church today. Because we have wonderful, wonderful access through uh, Spotify with worship music and through podcasts and, all the, and YouTube and all these things. We have wonderful access to make it so easy to build ourselves up in Christ. But that isn't what he's asking. He's asking us to encourage each other. And he uses the vehicle of the local church. Even when things are hard, even when we don't like each other, even when we don't agree, even when it's easy to sleep in, even when we have anxiety, depression, sickness, this matters to God and it should matter to us. And when I'm growing in my faith, the mark, the hallmark of my maturity should not be just how knowledgeable and great I'm feeling. The mark of my maturity should be to see the evidence of how it is affecting you. To the degree that we have been encouraged, we will encourage each other. Okay, this is the game changer. Imagine if we came to church and our mind frame is, I wonder how I can help you people. Instead of coming to church, hope the music's good. I wonder who's preaching today. I hope I don't get the last of those, the only kind of donut hole I don't even like. And it's the only one left. 
Not saying that's ever happened to me, but <laughs> what kind of place would this be if we actually came here and decided, you know what, I have been building myself up in the faith all week long. I can't wait to get amongst my other believers and dole some of that out to you. That's a game changer, isn't it? Now listen, this is hard, and this is going to take a mental shift and we're going to have to ask God to speak into us because I believe every single one of us are somewhat infected, if you will, with this consumer mentality. And the reason that I believe we're all infected by it is just because of the, the kind of lay of our modern church, the, just the way that it is. And so it doesn't make us bad, but we need to mature and understand what God's idea is for church as opposed to how we've typically maybe experienced it. And so sometimes it can be easier to um, understand if we've gotten it backwards by recognizing the symptoms, all right? And I'm just going to pick out just a couple, all right? A couple of symptoms, and I've done this too, okay? So there's no judgment here, but we're, we're here to work on healing, okay? Maybe you have said things like this. You know, I'm just not getting fed there anymore. Uh, as a pastor's wife, I can tell you I've heard this from many, many people. People have come to our church saying they left the last one because they didn't get fed. I've said it before, okay? Again, there's no judgment, but I want us to understand. If the hallmark of maturity in faith is to not be selfish, I want you to really just think about this. Why would we say that the church's responsibility is to feed us when we really think about this? If, if, if an infant back here starts crying because they're hungry, how ridiculous would it be? Can you just imagine baby starts crying and mom's like, take care of it yourself. You can handle it. Throw a bottle to a baby that doesn't even know how to hold one. A good mom would never do that. That's an infant. They don't know what to do with a bottle. Okay, they just know how to cry for it. And so we understand where they are. So there is a grace and an understanding and an acceptance and a responsibility on the more mature Christian toward the infant Christian. Yes, there is. But we don't stay there because if my 15-year-old's back there crying because she's hungry, guess what I won't do? I have been working. This is something we're working on in my household. My kids coming up to me, they're like 11, 11, and 15, and they still sometimes come up to me, Mom, I'm hungry. Okay. Cool. <laughs> what are you going to do about it? All right? You do know where the food is. All right? So it's a mark of maturity. So it doesn't make you bad. But if you've been in the faith for a while and you're finding yourself saying things like, well, I'm just not getting fed there, maybe it's because you need to pick up the fork and feed yourself. Because here's the thing. It doesn't matter how good the sermon is on a Sunday. There is not one meal that has ever been meant to sustain you for a whole week. No meal is meant to sustain you for a whole week. This is our daily bread. His word is life, and it's for you. And we need to be coming back to it every single day. And as you grow, you help feed others. But this should be a mark of maturity. I'm not coming here on Sunday because I'm, I'm just, I, I, don't, I don't have anything to do with the word or worship until I get here, and I'm hoping they do it all for me. Church, even though this is just kind of the way it's designed in today's culture, in today's day and age, it is not six or seven people up here trying to do something good and entertaining for you to motivate you. 
not the job. It's not us and you. It's we. We are the body. We are a family. And we have things we offer to each other. And your smile and your care and concern towards someone out in that hallway is probably going to go a further way with somebody than this message will even. What you have matters and we need it. We need it for encouragement. Another thing, I've even talked about this before. Another thing that can kind of be a mark of somewhat immaturity or um, I guess you could say selfishness even um, is when we comment on things like, and I don't hear it at this church much, but I've heard it in other churches before. Well, I didn't like those songs. I couldn't really get into those songs. We've heard that before. We've said that before. And trust me, I have a picky song taste too. But here's why that is an incredible mark of immaturity. Because the songs aren't for you. The songs are for God. And so the question is not, did you like the songs enough to engage in them? The question is, is God pleased with what you're offering him? So we need to walk away from a worship service and say, did I offer him praise? Did I? And he's so gracious. He's so loving. If singing makes you nervous, if you're riddled with doubt and all you can do is just stand there, he knows it. He knows what an authentic yes toward him is. And you don't have to worry about what it looks like to anybody else. I have come here before. I came to church hours after my best friend died in a shocking way. I stood there. I could not open my mouth. All I could do is cry. That was still worship. I did what I could do. Listen, this is not meant to be judgment. It's just meant to be a mental shift so that we understand that in so many ways we have fallen victim to the consumer mentality about church. And we're the, we're the losers when we do that. If we keep trying to find a church that just meets all of our needs, we're the ones that lose because the idea is you grow and mature in the faith. Understand who you're made to be and use it to serve one another. We build each other up so that we can go out to the lost and the broken world. I know some of this is hard stuff. It is, but I'm, I'm just trying to be faithful about what I believe that God has given us when it comes to relationships within this church? Are there times where we need to share a hard word with each other? Is constructive criticism a thing and can be helpful? Yeah, it can. But I really think we need to be a whole lot more prayed up and sure and take time before we enter that kind of thing and a lot more ready to be the encourager. A lot more ready. And deep down, we know what's encouraging people and what's not, don't we? You have something that encourages someone else in the faith. Uh, a couple of ways that we can kind of um, combat the immaturity is one way is to embrace gratitude. I found it interesting. When I was reading through these letters that Paul wrote to the churches, I was really just trying to look for themes, themes, themes. And aside from encouraging each other, encouraging and helping each other was the number one directive that we're supposed to do. This is why we exist with each other. But guess what the number one attitude is? Thankfulness. Gratitude. You see uh, thankfulness and gratitude sprinkled throughout every single letter in everything. He says it almost like obnoxiously. Everything is and in thankfulness and in gratitude with thankfulness, with cheerfulness. Why? Because when we realize what we've been given, 
When we're naturally thankful, it's easier to encourage someone else from that, isn't it? And, and the opposite of that is grumbling. And so um, on the other side of it, you'll see a lot of don't do's, and almost all of them are don't complain, don't grumble. You know why? That's an infectious thing. I mean, there was a whole bunch of people in the Old Testament, the Israelites, didn't even get to inherit what God was giving them, all because of complaining. Complaining is a powerful thing, and it can keep our church stunted in its growth. I don't know, have anybody, has anybody ever seen, it's on Discovery Channel, a show I love, it's called Naked and Afraid. It's not nearly as scandalous as it sounds. Has anyone ever seen it? Naked and Afraid. All right, okay, so it's two people that don't know each other, and they kind of fashion themselves as like wilderness people, like I can survive the wilderness, and they're given this like uh, rating of how much they can survive the wilderness, and these two people that don't know each other, they're like dropped off into some of the hardest places to survive in the world. Okay, sometimes it's swamps, and sometimes it's mountains, and all that, and they have no food, no clothes, and no shelter. And they have like 21 days to get to the extraction point. And so they have to work to figure out, what do we need more? Do we need to make the shelter? But then that takes a lot of calories. And then if we're too tired and we can't, and then if it gets dark and we haven't made our fire yet, you know, then the predators can come. So there's all these basic needs that aren't met. And they have to come together to figure out. And here's the problem. If it's a couple days before they can find food, they start getting grouchy and skinny. <laughs> And not the cute kind of skinny, the like sunken kind of thing. And, and so here's the thing. What you find is a lot of times when you watch the show, I think it's fascinating to watch the show because hands down every single time, the couple that does not make it to the, the extraction point is the couple that started entertaining complaints. Now, are there a thousand reasons to complain when you're getting eaten up by mosquitoes in the night and you have these predators and you're hungry and you're tired? And yeah, there is. But there are certain participants in the show that will not give in to the complaining. They won't verbalize it. And you would be shocked every single time. The minute they start complaining, and Neil and I have had fun with this because we've seen all of the, yeah, we've seen them all. Um, we were into it for a while. Um, but it's so funny because the minute one of them would complain, we'd look at each other and we'd be like, it's over. And I wondered, like, didn't you ever watch the show before? Don't you realize that's like the key to like everything stops, everything halts. Because as soon as one person gives voice to that complaining, they're done. Because then all they can see is how hard things are. And it's amazing to me because I've seen like big like Marine Corps, all, you know, he had this big rating for survival. And then I saw uh, the, the number one girl I saw, she was a foster child, had grown up in all these homes. She'd had lots of problems. She was a single mom, still got her degree, was a good mom. She like overcame over and over and over again. And she's the one that ended up having the best survival rating of the entire season. She was nothing to look at when it comes to like surviving the wilderness. But up here, she knew what it took to survive and not one complaint came out of her mouth. The reason God doesn't want us to grumble and embrace gratitude is again, it makes us generous people. So we have to be on guard for the complaining. Why does God want mature Christians? Because when we have mature Christians, we will stop having legalistic Christians, Christians who are tired because they're striving to act a certain way. We will have Christians that embrace his word because we've come to realize that his word is best 
that it's life that we flourish this way. And it's, and it's all kinds of freedom, but it's freedom because I know where life is. Let me give you an example. I have no idea why this happened, but suddenly I've become this like houseplant lady. I don't know if that means I'm getting old or what, but like I just keep coming home with these houseplants. Okay, but here's what I've noticed. I know, I'm like at the grocery store and I'm like, yeah, and another houseplant somewhere, we'll be fine. Okay, what I've noticed is they all come with these little instructions. And when you turn them around, the instructions are pretty specific about um, where to put this thing, how much light it's supposed to get, how often you should water it, occasionally pruning it. What do you suppose would happen if I looked at this and went, that's a lot of rules. I'll do it my own way. Water it every day. Every day? Seriously? Come on. That's a little strict. I would never look at it that way, would I? Because I actually know that what this is, is this is like the manual or the guide to this thing staying alive, to this thing flourishing and looking the way that I want it to look. I don't look at these, these guidelines as a set of rules or strict or cumbersome. I look at it as the guideline to this thing being what it's supposed to be. That is a mark of Christian maturity. When we look at God's word and we stop looking at it as this list of rules that we're trying to emulate and, and get God's favor, and that's not what it's about. It's about the one who made you, and he's telling you, these are the things I'm giving you so that you'll have a good, rich life. And when I understand that and I embrace that and I trust him and I live in this way because I know this is where real life comes from, that's a mark of a mature Christian. And imagine if we had a, a church full of people that ran to his word and filled up on it the way that we want to pour water and sunlight on this plant. Planted in the house of the Lord, we will flourish. It may be a hard season to be planted right now. I understand that. God does too but it doesn't take away from what he said you need to be planted. So here's, here's what we're going to do. I sat, when, when I was done doing this sermon, I sat out on my deck, and I just grabbed a, a pen and paper, and I thought, you know what? I just want to take a second, and I just want to brainstorm some ways that people in my local church, this one and my churches before, have encouraged me in my faith. And I don't want to think about it hard. I just want to brainstorm. And so this is not an exhaustive list by any means, but I, I just want you to hear the things that I just, in a matter of like two minutes, bringing me coffee to church, a timely text or a word, a hug, taking interest in my kids, giving me a ride. When there's breakfast at church and I don't have to fight my kids to come, <laughs> A financial gift, painting our house, assembling a dresser, when someone babysat my kids, giving us furniture, inviting me to lunch, when a worship leader told me in my early 20s that he saw me as a worship leader. I brought my kids out on the deck, and I asked them the same question. Hey, girls, tell me, tell me some things that like people have done in the church that have encouraged you. This is what they said. And if Charlie could come up now, I don't know. Oh, sweet. <laughs> You're on it. 
This is what my girls said when I asked them what has encouraged them in the faith. When I'm working in Quest and a parent tells me their kid likes me. Come on, parents, we can do that. You could set a kid on, on a track right there. When a grown-up tells me I'm good at something. These are my kids' own words. When an adult tells me I'm a sweet girl. I asked Neil the same question. What's encouraged you in the faith? When I was young, in my early 20s, a brand new Christian and a pastor that I looked up to said, I had a pastor's heart. It changed the trajectory of what he did. I bet that pastor had no idea that he aided you into becoming a pastor and going to seminary and changing your course. This whole encouraging each other thing, it doesn't have to be expensive. It doesn't have to be time-consuming. Although I think we'll reap what we sow, those who sow generously will reap generously. So don't be afraid to give because in God's economy, you'll be blessed for it. But I also want us to understand that it doesn't take much. In fact, when I went back and looked at the list in my own family of things that people have done to encourage us in the faith, most of them are free and take about three seconds. We owe this to each other. We need this. We need this. If you see something in someone, call it out. Call it out. Tell them. I remember um, one time, this was years and years ago. I had gotten on a worship team. It was the kind of thing where you had to, there were different teams. You had to like audition for it. And I was so nervous. And I was by far the youngest person on the worship team at the time. And I was so nervous back then. And so what people did or didn't say to me like really mattered. And there were plenty of people that said a lot of encouraging things. And that was great. In fact, that worship pastor is the one who told me, I think you, you need to be a worship pastor. It, it sowed a seed in me. But I got to say, there was one person, one time, that said something that was extremely hurtful. And I know they didn't mean to hurt me, but it hurt so badly. It was years ago. And this person told me that, um, that my body movements were distracting and this person even told Neil that um, they came to church to worship, not to, watch, uh, not to watch his wife bounce around on stage. And you have to understand, I was at a point where I was trying so hard to just please God, not people. And it squashed me. And to this day, in my times of insecurity, it, it, if I get a little freer in worship, I instantly hear this voice going, stop, stop, you're distracting people. Those words have hung on all these years. Now, I know that wasn't the voice of God, and I'm not holding on to it, but it still comes back and haunts me sometimes. And we've all had those things, haven't we? It's so easy to tear someone down. We've got to be so hesitant to share any kind of a critical word with somebody. But we need to be so ready, so ready to tell them what they're good at, what they're made for, and we as a church benefit. 
So at the risk of this being the kind of sermon that it feels like do's and don'ts, go encourage people, don't complain, be grateful, don't criticize. I don't want you to hear that because here's what I really believe. I believe that what God is asking us to do is a natural byproduct of actually realizing what he's done for us. When you realize how you've been encouraged, you just take a second to embrace that and soak in it, you're going to naturally encourage. When you take a second to be thankful, complaining doesn't come as easy. So here's what I want us to do for a few minutes before we um, come together to sing this last song. I want you to do the same brainstorm session that I did. So if you've got notes and a pen, take them out. If you've got a phone and you just want to jot it down on your phone, great. If you have a second at the dinner table tonight to talk to your kids about this, do it. But what I want you to do, and I think there might be a slide that we can put up for this. Um, I want you to entertain this question. What are some ways that someone has encouraged you in the faith? Don't think hard. Don't think mountaintops or long lines. Just brainstorm it. Just quick. Just quick. Phrases. Words. And after you've completed the list, stare at them. Give God thanks for those moments, for the evidence that his goodness has been running after you through others. Thank God for the people that are behind those very things that encouraged you. Thank him. Thank him for his faithfulness. Thank him for the encouragement. And let's be a church that gives thanks and encourages others in the faith.